Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Tonight, straight from the source, a 2024 Republican candidate for president who also happens to be a key witness in Jack Smith's January 6th investigation. Former Vice President Mike Pence is here live. And few Republicans are now defending Senator Tommy Tuberville after our explosive interview last night. What Alabama's senior senator is now saying tonight about white nationalists. Plus, she was originally sentenced to death, then chose to spend life behind bars. Now a follower of Charles Manson has just been freed more than a half a century after two gruesome murders. I'm Caitlin Collins, and this is The Source. Tonight, we have news on three separate investigations with Donald Trump at the center of them all. In Georgia, a grand jury has now been formally sworn in in Fulton County. That is the grand jury that could decide to bring more criminal charges against the former president, this time for trying to overturn the 2020 election in Georgia. District Attorney Fonnie Willis has indicated that potential indictments could come as soon as next month. In neighboring Florida, delay tactics appear to be afoot. Trump and his attorneys are asking for the entire classified documents trial to be pushed back indefinitely. Meanwhile, in Washington today, the special counsel's top prosecutors were seen for the first time in weeks at a federal courthouse in the same area where the grand jury in the January 6th investigation typically meets. Someone who has testified before that grand jury before is here tonight with us, former Vice President Mike Pence. Mr. Vice President, thank you so much for joining us tonight. You obviously have been testifying in that investigation. We'll get to those those developments in a moment. But I also want to talk about a recent trip you made to Ukraine, where you went and you met with President Zelensky. You're the first person in the 2024 Republican field to do so. Do you believe that Ukraine is ready to enter NATO right now? Well, not during the war. Uh, I honestly believe that it's important as the leader of the free world and the arsenal of democracy that America continue to provide the Ukrainian military what they need to fight and win and repel that unprovoked Russian invasion. Uh, but the question of NATO membership, and, and I spoke about this with President Zelensky, I, I think should all wait on uh, after uh, the war is won. And I, I must tell you, as I I heard again from President Zelensky that I I honestly think President Biden has done a very poor job explaining our national interests there. But also, I heard President Zelensky's frustration 
with how slow the United States has been in, in fulfilling our commitments for military support. Caitlin, we promised 33 Abrams tanks back in January. They're now being told, I heard on that trip, that they might get them in September. Uh, they, they're still waiting on the approval from the United States uh, for F-16s. And I, now I hear there's a deal for F-16s uh, with Turkey. Look, uh, President Biden said uh, in his State of the Union address that we're, we're there as long as it takes. Well, uh, Caitlin, I believe it shouldn't take that long. Uh, we ought to get on with it. We ought to give the Ukrainian military what they need. They've demonstrated their toughness. Let them fight and win, repel the Russian invasion. And then, and only then, uh, can we move forward with welcoming them with the open arms into NATO. Well, notable your comments there, because especially when it comes to the timing with NATO, that's also something President Biden has said, something that has angered President Zelensky while they're all at this NATO summit. But when it comes to this, your former boss, Donald Trump, has said multiple times that he believes he could end the war in Ukraine in just 24 hours. I mean, you were just there on the ground. How unrealistic is that comment? Well, the only way you could end the war in Ukraine in 24 hours would be by giving Vladimir Putin what he wants. Uh, and that's the last thing uh, the United States should ever call upon Ukraine to do. Look, I, I think this war uh, in Ukraine matters to the national interests of the United States for a couple reasons. Chief among them is that uh, by giving Ukraine what they need to fight and repel the Russian invasion, we're going to prevent that Russian military, if they overran Ukraine, from crossing a border where under our NATO agreement, we would have to send our armed forces into harm's way. I think it's important, just like Ronald Reagan said back in 1985, he said, if you're willing to fight our enemies on your soil, we'll give you the means to fight them there so our men and women don't have to fight them. But this is also about China, Caitlin, and we don't talk about that enough. Look, I, I've met Vladimir Putin, I've, I've met President Xi. I promise you that China is watching very closely to how the United States and our Western allies respond in Ukraine. And with their military provocations continuing in the Asia Pacific, I think there's no more effective message to, to restrain China's military ambitions in the Asia Pacific, specifically toward Taiwan, than giving Ukraine what they need to repel that act uh, of unprovoked Russian aggression in Ukraine. You mentioned meeting President Putin. Trump had personally a very friendly relationship with him. Did it ever make you uncomfortable when you were vice president? You know, in that vice presidential debate in 2016, Caitlin, I, I called uh, Vladimir Putin the, quote, small and bullying leader of Russia. My, my opinion of him never changed. And in, in my interactions with him, I, I conveyed that, that firmness. But I will say I'm proud of the fact that uh, however... Uh, President Trump spoke about or continues to speak about Vladimir Putin. Uh, our administration as a whole stood firm. We, we rebuilt our military. Uh, our, our armed forces in ISIS actually took down a hundred uh, of those Wagner uh, Russian mercenaries in Syria when they moved on our troops. We used cruise missiles against Syria when they used chemical weapons on their own people. I think there's, there's no coincidence uh, that Vladimir Putin did not even try to redraw international lines by force during the Trump-Pence administration because, because we were strong, we were committed to American strength, we showed a willingness to use uh, American military power to defend our interests and our allies. And frankly, in the aftermath of that disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan, 
Uh, I, I think this administration, in that respect, in trying to, to beg Iran to get back in the Iran nuclear deal, has been, frankly, projecting weakness on the world stage, and it's emboldened the enemies of freedom. Uh, but uh, so the rhetoric was different the way I spoke about Putin in our day, the way President Trump spoke about him. But uh, our administration projected strength on the world stage and it made a difference. Well, it's not just the way you spoke about it. It's also the way the communication happened at all. I mean, Trump met with Putin one on one and asked the person who is the interpreter, the note taker to hand over the notes. I mean, did that make you uncomfortable? Were there moments where you were uncomfortable with how that relationship was? Well, look, I, I always understood when I was when I was uh, at the White House that I was vice president of the United States. Uh, the president and I spoke about his meeting with Vladimir Putin. He conveyed to me what he what he told the American people is that he'd been very clear uh, about a range of issues and concerns. But I, I got to tell you, the thing that I learned in all of my years, not as vice president only, but also uh, 10 years on the on the House International Relations Committee is that the. Leaders around the world respect actions more than words. Uh, and under our administration, we took action to prosecute America's interest on the world stage. And the world was much more peaceful, undeniably, during our time than it has been under the failed policies of the Biden administration. Yeah, well, Trump also said he sided with Putin, of course, as you know, over the U.S. intelligence agencies. You know, something you, were said recent, you said recently when you were asked about the possibility of debating your former boss, you said, I've debated Donald Trump many times, just not with the cameras on. What were your biggest points of disagreement <laughs> with your now challenger? You know, I, I wrote a book about those years and uh, I wrote a lot about those those differences uh, that we have. But as vice president, I thought it was always important to, to share my opinion with the president in private. Um, uh, but uh, look, I, I, I feel like I know Donald Trump well. I, I would frankly relish the opportunity to be on stage because I, I honestly think that the path that we struck during the Trump-Pence administration a path of a strong national defense, American leadership in the world, a path of pro-growth policies, and at least a, a commitment to fiscal responsibility and a commitment to the right to life uh, is different than the path that the former president is on right now. I, I, I would relish the opportunity to debate not just the future of the Republican Party, but the future of the country. I, I'm somebody that, that as the former president and frankly others uh, in this race are minimizing the importance of American leadership in the world. I, I think, as I said before, we've got to be the leader of the free world. Uh, we've got to stand strong with those who are just standing up uh, against tyranny and, and push back uh, on uh, authoritarian yeah. regimes and their use of aggression you say to redraw you... international alliance. Fiscal responsibility, the same. The right to life, the same. I see the president in, in one case after another kind of shying away from the agenda that carried us uh, to the White House in 2016, got 10 million more votes in 2020. And, and frankly, it's still the platform that I'm going to campaign on in 2024. Well, it sounds like you're saying you would call him out on that on the debate stage. I mean, Chris Christie says that Trump's ego won't allow him to miss the debate. Obviously, he has threatened to skip it. Do you agree with Chris Christie on that, that his ego won't allow him to, to miss the debate? Well, I, I, you know, I hope he's there. I mean, I'm, I intend to be on that debate stage in late August, and uh, I look forward to squaring off and talking about the issue. Look, the American people are hurting right now. I mean, this economy is struggling. The world seems to be more dangerous by the day. We've got the worst crisis on our southern border in American history. Many Americans feel that their liberties and values 
are under constant assault. And uh, I, I think carrying forward uh, an unapologetic mainstream conservative agenda and juxtaposing that with some who would who who want to follow the siren song of populism for the Republican Party is going to be a worthy debate. And I'm are looking forward to it. Are you going to qualify to it, for the debate and stage? And I hope he's going to be there. Uh, you bet. We'll be on that debate stage. Okay. We're working every day uh, to get to that threshold, 40,000. But I have to tell you, it's humbling to me. Uh, ever since we announced how many people have been going to MikePence2024.com since that day back in June, mm -hmm. have been uh, even making a dollar contribution to get us on the stage. And I'm sure we're going to be there. OK, speaking of the investigations that are happening here, obviously, those would likely come up on the debate stage as well. You testified in the January 6th investigation for more than five hours after a court fight, do you think that your testimony could lead to an indictment? Well, look, I, I, I can tell you that um, uh, I had concerns uh, about the unprecedented uh, subpoena of a former vice president to testify uh, about my duties uh, under, uh, under my role yeah, as president of the Senate. We went to court on that. We actually, we won that round, actually, for the first time. In history, a federal judge recognized that some of the protections members of Congress have do extend uh, to the vice president. And uh, I was grateful for that. But look, uh, there's no mystery about what I talked about, and people can draw their own conclusions. I, I, I've told the story many times on your airwaves and others, and of course, uh, of course in the, on the printed page of, uh, of my autobiography. And uh, you know, my, my hope is that ultimately all these questions are resolved by the American people that uh, I think most Americans uh, remember that day well. It's a day I'll never forget. Uh, most Americans saw what happened in real time. And uh, uh, I have to tell you, as I traveled around Iowa all last week, we were there for five days on the ground. My Karen, Karen and I were traveling all across uh, western Iowa in and around Independence Day. And Caitlin, I, I can honestly tell you, I know, I know it's of great interest to many of you in the media, but it's just not what people were talking to me about uh, on the ground in Iowa or when I've been in New Hampshire and other states around well, the country, Mr. Vice President, or even here in Indiana. One, one voter actually did bring it up to you. She was of the belief that you were essentially the reason President Biden was in office. You corrected her and said you did not have the authority to overturn the election uh, that day. You didn't have the ability not to certify Biden's win. You just said that you believe the American people will hold Trump accountable. You have said that you do ultimately believe he'll be held accountable for that day. Does that mean you say that he'll be held accountable by the voters, not by the criminal justice system here? Well, I'm just saying I, that's what I would prefer in this case. But I, I look, I respect the rule of law, Caitlin. I mean, uh, you you know where I stand on the Constitution. You know where I stand on the rule of law. And um, I want to I want to let our judicial process work, and I want to be respectful of that. But you know, at, at the end of the day, I, I trust the American people uh, in this matter. And uh, it, it would just be my hope that ultimately questions around that fateful day would uh, would uh, go to the American people. And I, I got to tell you, you're, you're right. Uh, there was one person that brought up uh, the events of January 6th and my actions that day. But just one. We did we did 12 town halls in 10 counties. And I have to just tell you, it's, uh, I was frankly grateful that she brought it up. I think there's been some misunderstanding uh, that persists to this day. And President Trump has continued to maintain that I had the authority to overturn the election, but I, I, I had no right to overturn the election. Uh, and uh, uh, I know that by God's grace, we did our duty under the Constitution on January 6th. And, uh, but I, I honestly, Caitlin, it just, 
it just didn't come up uh, as we traveled around because, frankly, the the failed policies of the Biden administration have weakened this country at home but and abroad. I, the American people are desperately concerned about those issues affecting their lives. I understand that you're saying voters didn't They're bring not it up. really they, looking in the rearview mirror and... Uh, and I, I, that's where I'm staying focused, too. I understand that you're saying it's not something that gets brought up a lot by Republican primary voters. But when you talk about your actions on that day, you know, you're you're often praised for the actions you took that day, standing up to the pressure you were facing uh, to take actions that you say you could not take, that everyone says you wouldn't didn't have the ability to do. But do you ever wish that you had spoken up sooner, that you had come out and publicly conceded the election in the weeks before it, it got to the point that it got to, that you had said something before then? Well, well, honestly, Caitlin, I, I, I had frankly hoped all, all the way up to the waning days before January 6th uh, that President Trump would come around on this issue. Um, I, I'd seen it many times. You talk about times that we disagreed when I was vice president. I, I'd seen the president take a hard position on an issue uh, and then take the opposite position and then engage in a debate back and forth. And I'll never forget that Monday night right before January 6th when uh, he stood before a crowd in Georgia at a rally, and I had been in Georgia earlier in the day rallying folks for that special Senate election. And I remember he said, Mike Pence has got to come through for us, and if he doesn't, I won't like him so much. And then he paused and said, no, no, one thing you know about Mike is he's always going to do the right thing. And I remember in that moment, Caitlin, thinking maybe he's coming around and starting to see that uh, that the people that had told him that I had some authority that that the Constitution simply did not give me, nor should ever give to any one individual. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. Uh, but it was not to be, and uh, uh, sadly, things went downhill from there. But I, I had hoped all along the way to persuade him of the, the rightness of our cause and our position. Let the process work in the Congress. Let the objections be heard. You remember, Democrats brought objections to electoral college votes in three of the last four elections that Republicans had prevailed. There was nothing wrong with that process happening, uh, but I had always hoped uh, that but the president obviously, would come obviously around that and day, that we did our duty that day. That day was much different. And, but don't you think it would have had an effect if you had come out in mid-December when it was very clear the Electoral, electoral College had certified Biden's win, if you had come out and publicly conceded the election? Why didn't you do that? Well, I, I wanted to be respectful. Remember, we had about 60 lawsuits that were working, some of which were still uh, in a the courts. A lot of them were thrown out by In then. the immediate days before January 6th. Well, yeah, a lot of them were not, too. That's, uh, the reality is I wanted to respect the process. I wanted to make it clear that I was going to do my job as the presiding officer over the Congress, as uh, my 47 predecessors had done, and... Uh, as vice president, serving as president of the Senate. I think we did our duty by God's grace. We did our duty that day. And I, I must tell you, I was very moved by that woman who asked me at the town hall meeting about it, that uh, she later told someone on your network that uh, she appreciated that I was a man of faith and uh, said she'd consider voting for me nonetheless. So, I, you know, I, I welcome the opportunity to talk about the record that we build under the Trump-Pence years, but I also welcome the opportunity to talk to people about what I understood to be my duty and that if I have the great privilege of being president of the United States, I'll, I'll always keep my oath to the Constitution. Yeah, that was to my colleague, Kyung Law. One last question on the classified documents case. You have often said when, talk, when asked about the indictment that you find it troubling, but wait and let Trump go, go to trial and, and present his case. 
He is now asking to postpone that indefinitely until after the 2024 election. Do you think it's fair for voters to go to the ballot box and cast their votes without that case having gone to trial as far away as that is? Well, you know, I was his vice president for four years, and I'm not anymore, Caitlin, and um, I'm also not his lawyer, so I really, I can't, I can't really comment on on the merits of uh, the motion that they filed that's being discussed today. I have said, but you look, can comment I, I looked on whether or not it's fair for voters to have uh, to make a judgment before they, yeah. if they have to wait, and they purposefully try to delay it until after the 2024 election. Well, well, look, I, look, I, look, everyone's innocent until proven guilty, and the president is entitled to his day in court. He's entitled to a full representation and uh, to offer the motions by his counsel that he would offer. I, I want to, as I've said before, I, the allegations in that indictment are serious. I don't ever want to diminish uh, the seriousness of handling the classified materials of this country. But at the end of the day, I, I want to let that process work. I'll let the president have his day in court, uh, make his defense. And I'll, I'll, trust, uh, I'll trust the court and the judges to make the right call on when and where that happens. All right, former Vice President Mike Pence, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you, Caitlin. Senator Tommy Tuberville was here last night. He was the subject of criticism on Capitol Hill today because of what he said, or or really what he wouldn't say, on the show last night. A white nationalist is racist, Senator. Well, that's your opinion. He is now trying to reverse course. We'll have fresh reaction to that next. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville spent his day on Capitol Hill attempting to explain comments that he made right here on The Source last night. My opinion of a white nationalist, if somebody wants to call him white nationalist, to me is an American. It's an American. This morning when he was on Capitol Hill, he was pressed and he tried to clarify by saying this. I'm totally against racism. And if the Democrats want to say that white nationalists are racist, I'm totally against that, too. But that's okay. not a Democratic definition. The definition of a white nationalist well, is someone... Well, that's your definition. My definition is, is racism definition. bad. Of course, there aren't Republican and Democratic definitions. Those comments did not end the questions, though, and they only put his fellow Republicans in an awkward spot, with eventually Senate, Senator Mitch McConnell coming out and saying this. White supremacy is simply unacceptable in the military and in our whole country. About half an hour after that, not in front of the cameras, I should note, Senator Tuberville was asked again, and he told reporters, and I'm quoting him now, white nationalists are racist. As to whether Republican leaders had pressured him to say that and to reverse the comments that he made here last night, Senator Tuberville told my colleague, Manu Raju, I'm quoting, I don't listen to them Anyway, and joining me now is a member of the House Armed Services Committee, Representative Alyssa Slotkin, a Democrat from Michigan, who is also running for a Senate seat there. Congresswoman, thanks so much for joining us tonight. You know, when you hear Senator Tuberville's latest answer today, you know, finally acknowledging that white nationalists are indeed racist, was that sufficient for you? I mean, look, it was pretty stunning um, when we, we first heard it. I saw it on Twitter for the first time, and that was the... the 
sort of shocking um, that he didn't, it shouldn't be hard to condemn white nationalism. That shouldn't be a difficult thing. I mean, I'm glad, I guess, under pressure that he has reversed his position. His fellow senator from Alabama didn't have a problem condemning white nationalism. So I'm glad that under pressure, he does seem to move. I wish he would do the same thing with some of his um, holds on all of our Department of Defense officials, but under pressure, he moved, and I guess it's better than nothing. Yeah, you're referencing comments from Senator Katie Britt. You know, one thing Senator Tuberville said last night was, uh, if we are going to do, I'm quoting him now, if we are going to do away with most white people in this country out of the military, we've got huge problems. Does it trouble you that a sitting U.S. senator could not distinguish b- between people who are white and white nationalists? Yeah, I just, I, again, I, I just don't pretend to understand the circles that he's traveling in, that it's not, you know, it's on the front pages of our newspaper all the time. It's something that our country has been grappling with. It's something that has become violent in years. I mean, in this building where I'm standing right now, so I I can't pretend to understand it. What I think is important is that he was pressured and under pressure he changed. So I would hope that my Republican colleagues in the Senate would do the same thing on all the holds he has right now on over 250 senior offices, senior officers in the military. And he claims to be someone who cares about defense, national security. So then prove it and actually allow the senior most officers in the United States to be confirmed. And the reason he is having these holds on hundreds of these military nominations, something that we we typically don't see, you see it with civil appointees, political appointees, not military officers who who are trying to be promoted, is in protest of the Pentagon's abortion policy. He says he doesn't believe that this hold hurts U.S. military readiness. Do you? Absolutely. I mean, this is the first time since 1859 that we haven't had a Senate-confirmed commandant of the Marine Corps. This is the head of the Navy, the head of the Army, the head of the Marine Corps, and then all the three and four stars that make up the leadership of our military. We have troops deployed abroad. We're in the middle of supporting the Ukrainians. I mean, to say that it doesn't matter, as someone who was a coach, right, as someone who knows what leadership is, presumably, he understands that if the coach isn't there, it is real hard to lead an organized offense. So what exactly does he think is happening with the U.S. military? It's the same thing, but on a much more important and serious scale. His complaint is that the Pentagon policy violates the Hyde Amendment, Hyde Amendment, which prevents the federal government from using taxpayer dollars to pay for abortions. He says because it's paying for travel and for time off for those who need to leave the state to get an abortion, it doesn't actually pay for the procedure itself. The Justice Department has issued an opinion saying that this does not violate the law. He doesn't agree with that. What do you think? Well, I think we're a nation of rules and laws, and he doesn't get to decide what is the law. Um, He's made his complaint. He's made his protest. At this point, I'm not sure he's willing to change, right? I think he's gaining a lot of press and a lot of um, interest from his own constituents on this issue. So I really call on Republican leadership, people I know who care about national defense, people who are senior members of the, the Armed Services Committee, Foreign Relations Committee, Homeland Security Committee, pressure him. Do exactly what you did today on his white nationalist comments and pressure him to get rid of these holds and call it a day so we can have the head of the Marine Corps, the head of the Army, in where they belong. What do you make of that you haven't seen more pressure on him? I mean, he says that he's not getting a lot of pressure from Republicans. We've certainly seen some, like Mitch McConnell, say that they disagree with the tactic he's using, but he's not necessarily getting pressure from leaders in his party to to stand down on this. Well, I, I think it just reflects the fact that, you know, for anyone who says that they care about national defense, 
if you don't care about the senior most members in our military, please don't claim that you care about national security as a top priority. What could be more important than setting the climate and setting the leadership culture of our, our services? So I, I just think it punches a hole in this claim that people are deeply concerned about national defense and it's their top priority if they don't care who leads the military. It, it's just, it doesn't hold water. And I, I just, I call upon my Republican colleagues who I know care about defense to do something, pressure him behind closed doors, just like you did today on his comments on nationalism. Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin, thank you for your time tonight. Thank you. Now another grand jury that could decide Trump's fate has just been sworn in in Georgia. Will there be a third indictment of the former president soon? We'll talk about that next. The grand jury that could decide whether former President Donald Trump or his allies face charges in Georgia has now been sworn in today. Fulton County District Attorney Fonnie Willis has been investigating that since not long after Trump called Georgia's Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger back in early 2021 and urged him, as we all heard, to find 11,780 votes, just enough to beat Joe Biden. I'm joined now by former federal prosecutor Ellie Honig, as well as The New York Times' Maggie Haberman and Trump's former White House communications director, Alyssa Farah Griffin. Thank you all for being here. Ellie, now that they have been formally sworn in, where do we go from here? How often are they meeting as everyone's kind of waiting to see when these charges could happen? Yeah, so it's really all up to the prosecutor. It's all up to Fonnie Willis. She has this grand jury sitting now for two months. They will meet as often as she needs. And the process from here can really be very streamlined because, remember, they put all the primary evidence, the actual live testimony from Mark Meadows, from Brad Raffensperger. That went in front of the special grand jury. And what you can do now as a prosecutor is you don't have to recall all those people and have them take the oath and testify again. You can just present that testimony to this this grand jury, which, unlike the prior grand jury, has the power to indict. So it really could be any moment. And I don't think there's much secret about what Fonnie Willis's intentions are here, that she's going to indict or ask the grand jury to indict Donald Trump. Yeah. And signs are pointing to August for when that indictment could happen. Obviously, this is coming, Maggie, as Trump is on the campaign trail. We have the first debate in late August. Today, his attorneys are also asking in the other investigation, the documents case, to delay it indefinitely. Is it clear to you how he's basically using a political strategy and a legal strategy all tied in one? As everything is a great flattening effect with Donald Trump, you're seeing that here, too. There is no question that defending himself in these cases has become incorporated into his campaign messaging, into his fundraising messaging, and into basically everything he says publicly. What he's doing legally, in terms of the filing you just mentioned, is saying it would be unfair, basically, to have this trial uh, before an election, that it would essentially complicate, you know, it, it would be complicated by politics. Could he get a fair jury? There is no need for a rush. And that one's important because Jack Smith said when he declared, or when he announced his indictment and talked about it, you know, we want a speedy trial. Well, it's the accused who has the the, the right to a speedy trial. And Trump clearly does not want that. And so I Trump's, some of Trump's advisors have been blunt in private conversations that he needs to win this election because then the case can go away. Now, that's a bit of a Hail Mary if you're betting on winning an election as a way of dealing with an indictment. But we are in an unprecedented situation. We, I mean, the And we could say that and set that statement to repeat for the last <laughs> Just seven years. Just put it on your voice Right, now. correct. I mean, so you'll uh, hear me say it again in a few days. <laughs> Alyssa, I mean, you worked for Trump. You worked in the Trump White House. Is it any surprise to you that he is trying to delay this in hopes of using an election to maybe do away with his legal troubles? 
Absolutely not. And I think that as big of a motivation in running again is avoiding this legal scrutiny as it is wanting to be president again. I'm not even convinced that he wants to do the job of president again, but he sees it as a way to avoid these many mounting legal pressures he's under. But what's interesting when I talk to people who are that I still talk to in Trump world, they see each of the cases kind of differently. The one that they're most legally afraid of seems to be the documents case that feels very cut and dry to them. And they're genuinely afraid of him doing jail time for it. January 6th, they're worried about it just relitigating the worst day of the president's former presidency and kind of getting the footage of the Capitol being stormed up again. And then Fulton County feels like a wild card. I think they think they're not really sure how much it will be directly linked to the president rather than aides around him. But the unknowns are crippling to him. I mean, Maggie knows this well. These things do weigh on him when he tries to project that they don't. They do. You can see it in his truth social posts and the speeches he gives. There's a lot up in the air for him. Yeah, I mean, he's attacking Jack Smith every single day, essentially, and tying him to the cocaine that was found at the White House. All kinds of wild things that people kind of just gloss over, it feels like. Maggie, uh, speaking of the fact that he's doing politics, though, and conducting a campaign in the middle of all of this, you're the co-byline on a story today about how he is picking fights in Iowa no matter the 2024 consequences. I mean, as we just said, the word unprecedented with Trump, but the fact that he is lashing out at a very popular Republican governor there, he is snubbing a popular evangelical figure and an event that Mike Pence is going to in Iowa on Friday night. I mean, he didn't run a conventional campaign ever before, but it's really notable how he's handling Iowa this time around. It is. And it's notable because if you talk to a bunch of folks in Iowa, they will all say there is an opening for a non-Donald Trump. Now, that doesn't mean someone's going to be able to capitalize on it. We have yet to see that somebody's going to. And DeSantis, who had been, you know, the person people were, were, were had their hopes pinned on, has struggled. And, you know, we'll see if he can turn it around. Um, but picking a fight like this, there's just no purpose. And so a person close to Trump acknowledged to us that, you know, this was not scripted. This was not part of a plan. Um, they're also not sure it's going to hurt him. But he seems determined to d- determined to test over and over again the statement that he made in the 2016 campaign that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and wouldn't lose, you know, any of his supporters. We'll see. Yeah. The question is, does it work? Ellie Honig, Maggie Haberman, Alyssa Farragriffin, thank you all for joining us. A contentious hearing on Capitol Hill today. PGA Tour executives were grilled by Democratic lawmakers as they defended their golf deal with the Saudis, despite staunch opposition that we are seeing from some players and the families of 9-11 victims, why they claimed they had no choice. Next. PGA Tour executives faced some pretty blunt criticism on Capitol Hill today from Senate Democrats. This was during a hearing. This is over a merger with the Saudi-owned Live Golf, a deal that some golf officials say they had to make as the Saudis posed what they said was an existential threat to their tour. This merger announcement, of course, has drawn backlash from some players who were encouraged not to join. Appalled by the idea also of a U.S. sporting league forging a close partnership with Saudi Arabia, who has a terrible record on human rights. But the top Republican on the panel, Senator Ron Johnson, defended the merger today. I have the deepest sympathy for the 9-11 families. I understand the issue of sports washing. I don't think there's any bil- there's not enough billions of dollars for the Saudis to wash away the stain of the brutal Khashoggi murder. Um, but the reality is, you know, we all buy oil. We use, uh, you know, we drive cars. You know, we, we are the ones that are filling up the coffers of the public investment fund. I would rather have their, them, you know, the Saudis invest their oil wealth in the U.S. as opposed to China or Russia. That's just the reality of the world. 
My colleague, Jake Tapper, anchor of The Lead and State of the Union, joins me now. Also the author of a new book. Jake, we will get to your new book in a moment. But on this, this hearing that happened on Capitol Hill today, you hear from Ron Johnson there. I know you also talked to the national chair of the 9-11 Families United earlier today about the, their view of all of this. This is what they told you. What we are trying to do is hold the kingdom, the Saudi government, the same House of Saud that was in power in 2001 is still in power today. And we need to hold them accountable for September 11th. And this deal that they made in the darkness of the night, um, they gave us no details today. They couldn't tell us anything about what's coming next. Um, it was just very bizarre. I mean, Jake, given Saudi Arabia's abysmal to say the least, human rights record. Where does this leave the families who are just in the wake of this entire merger and hearing comments like that from people like Senator Ron Johnson? Well, they feel betrayed uh, by PGA, the PGA Tour, which spent a year lobbying, uh, telling the American people just how horrible the Saudi-backed Live Golf organization was because of Saudi uh, complicity in 9-11, not to mention human rights abuses, not to mention the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, which according to U.S. intelligence was at the order of MBS, the, the crown prince. Uh, they feel betrayed and they also feel anger that people like Senator Johnson, in their view, uh, are not trying to find out more about why uh, the Saudis are having such an easy time, what they call sports washing their reputation uh, by getting a toehold into or taking over uh, American golf. I mean, it, it is kind of an odd thing to claim that if you fill up the tank of your, uh, of your Toyota, you are as complicit in what the Saudis did on 9-11 or, or the, other, the other items on the list I just made as those who are taking a billion dollars from the Saudis so as to uh, get into bed with them to, to do a, a golf tournament. And by the way, uh, it's, it is interesting uh, that PGA is a, is a nonprofit. It's kind of a curious thing. Yeah. And Jake, I mean, just the idea of that, that was something that was flagged today about the, the fact that they are a nonprofit. We'll see what other questions. Yeah, that they lawmakers, have a tax exempt status. Yeah, exactly. We'll see what other questions lawmakers have about this. Obviously, we have a lot more. Uh, you do have a new book that is out today. It is fantastic. It is called All the Demons Are Here. Of course, in between anchoring two shows, this is your third installment in the series and your sixth book overall. It takes place in the 1970s, and one of your characters is a journalist. I know you, you've said that this character is kind of the one that you identify the most with. I mean, how do you, when you're writing these books and you're, you're doing it through the, the mindset of that reporter, uh, how do you approach it? Well, one of the things I do when I write these books is that they're about the eras. I did a book about the 50s, a book about the 60s. This one takes place in 1977, and it is such a weird and wild time. I was only eight, so I don't really remember uh, money, money, the, most of the things I write about. But between uh, the rise of disco, the rise of tabloid, Studio 54, uh, the uh, aliens, the death of Elvis, uh, the evil Knievel, the prominence of the stuntman, evil Knievel, it was a really bizarre time in the United States, and it was fun to dive into it and almost make the era its own character uh, for people to enjoy and really take a look at how strange things were. It's really an underratedly uh, bizarre period in this country's history. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. I mean, there's a lot to it, more to, than what we have time to discuss tonight. Everyone should read it. I am, of course, All the Demons Are Here by the one and only Jake Tapper. Jake, thanks for joining us tonight.
Thank you. Up ahead, President Biden and Ukrainian President Zelensky are about to meet in just a matter of hours after a very public disagreement over when and how Ukraine can enter the military alliance known as NATO. Zelensky is now saying his country deserves respect. How will President Biden smooth things over? We'll talk about that next. In just a few hours, President Biden is going to be meeting with Ukrainian President Zelensky in Lithuania after the Ukrainian president slammed the lack of a concrete timeline for his country's membership into the NATO military alliance. Zelensky released a statement earlier today saying, in part, the lack of a definitive timeline is, quote, unprecedented and absurd, and said, quote, there seems to be no readiness to invite Ukraine to NATO or make it a member. Following it all from Lithuania is CNN's White House correspondent, Arlette Sines. Arlette, obviously, this is a pretty tense backdrop going into this meeting. President Biden told Fareed Zakaria last week that he believes Ukraine is not ready to join NATO. What is the White House saying about what tomorrow's meeting is going to look like, you know, if any efforts President Biden is going to make to smooth this over? Yeah, Caitlin, well, pre- Ukrainian President Zelensky really turned up the heat on NATO allies, exposing one of the differences that exist within the alliance. But heading into that meeting tomorrow, President Biden is hoping to put some of that tension behind that and focus on what the U.S. can offer Ukraine in the here and now and also down the road. Officials uh, here in Lithuania have been talking about the fact that President Biden will talk and, and present some ideas for how the U.S. can offer long-term commitments in including on security assistance to Ukraine to not just help them fight this war against Russia, but also to deter further aggression from Russia uh, in the, the future. Uh, and really, this so much of this summit has been about trying to send a direct message to Vladimir Putin. The president came into the summit celebrating that win after Sweden final or after Turkey finally relented and said that they would allow Sweden into the NATO alliance, expanding the group. Officials here have argued that what this has shown is that Putin's war has backfired upon him and only made the NATO alliance stronger. So tomorrow, the president is hoping to once again uh, demonstrate that unity with Ukraine, trying to put some of this tension that has bubbled up around the summit uh, behind them. Caitlin? Yeah, it's a complicated discussion, obviously, with with serious implications. We'll see what they say, at least when they're in front of the cameras. Arlette Signs in Lithuania, thank you. A Manson family member is now free tonight after more than half a century behind bars for the gruesome double murder. We have details in an interview with a victim's family member ahead. All right, thank you so much for joining us tonight. CNN Primetime with Laura Coates starts right now. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.